All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Luke, and I'm the discipleship pastor here, and we're going to be continuing in um, the book of 1 Peter. We started this last week, and um, if you were here, we talked about how this church is going through a very difficult time, and what the apostle Peter was doing was reminding them of the basics and how a lot of times it's the fundamentals of our faith that help us get through the toughest times. And I don't want to uh, pick on... Well, before I, before I jump onto this, I do want to pray... Um, for our church, and I know there's a ton of people sick. I was sick this week, if you can't tell with my voice a little bit, but a lot of people sick. So I just want to pray for our church and our youth is at Camp Maranatha with Pastor Jamie, some of our youth leaders. Um, ben Phillips is uh, preaching up there as well. So just want to take a minute and pray for them and pray for our church before we start here. Um, Father God, I just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Just want to lift up those who've been sick and um, struggling during this time, Lord. We just pray that you give them strength and give them peace. Lord, and just pray for our youth at Camp Maranatha, God, that you would be um, just leading uh, kids to Christ. Lord, they could have a, a life-changing encounter with you this weekend, Lord. Um, just pray for Pastor Jamie and for our youth leaders and that you'd be strengthening them and guiding them, Lord. And uh, just pray for Ben as he has spoke and preached there, Lord, that you would just um, fill him with your spirit, God, and his message would be effective. And we just ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I don't want to bring up any too sore of wounds here, but uh, you guys hopefully watched a little bit of Nebraska football last year. And um, there was a quarterback, Sims, who was, you know, fast. He was athletic. Um, there was a lot of things that he could do really well. But if you could remember, what's maybe one thing that was kind of his problem? Interceptions, fumbles, right? Every time he went in, it's like I was holding my breath. So you're going to fumble? And the problem with fumbling and interceptions, right, those are fundamentals to being a quarterback. You can't be a good, effective quarterback in college football if you're always fumbling and you're always throwing interceptions. So no matter how athletic you are, if you can't master the fundamentals, hold on to the ball, you're not going to get a chance to play, right? So what we're going to see in the same way, I think it's a good uh, question for us to ask ourselves, is are we at risk of fumbling spiritually the opportunities, the gifts, um, and even uh, the, the goals that God has given us in our spiritual life. And a lot of times it's going to come down to how are we navigating, how are we handling the basics of our faith, the fundamentals that God has given us. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul gives an example of this. Um, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, you can turn there if you like. It um, should be on your screen as well. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. That the Apostle Paul is saying, guys, I've written to you the basics. I've told you the fundamentals over and over and over. But for me to keep telling you over and over isn't tedious. It's not a boring thing, but it's actually safe. It's what helps guard your soul as you go through difficult times. It's what helps guard our soul as we seek to mature and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I can promise you with Sims, I promise you the Nebraska coaches were teaching him the fundamentals. It's not that no one had ever taught him how to do it, but we have to put it into practice, right? We have to be constantly reminded of the fundamentals, um, not just in sports, but spiritually to make sure our soul is secure and our vision, our spiritual vision is clear. In 2 Peter um, chapter 1, Peter also gives a similar encouragement. And it's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. You can turn there if you'd like. 
should be on your screen as well. He says, um, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Constant reminders. Though you know and are established in the truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by way of reminding you. So Peter was encouraging the church. It's not that they didn't know these things, but they needed the reminder. They needed to be encouraged. They needed um, to be supported in the things they already knew so they could be strengthened, so they could endure the persecution and the trials that they're in. So as we go through some of these truths, some of these truths may not seem new to you, but I want to encourage you by being reminded about these things. This is how we actually grow closer to Christ. This is how we mature in our faith. And most importantly, this is how we're going to see we can um, navigate the fires of this life. First Peter is going to tell us that we are going to go through fires that are going to test the genuineness of our faith. And when we come up to the obstacles, the fires of this life, it's not our amazing knowledge that's going to get us through. It's the fundamentals of the gospel. It's the fundamentals of who God is and his promises to us. Those are the things. Those are the precious promises that give us this living hope that can take us through the most challenging times of our life. We talked a little bit last week about the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians said he got to the point where he despaired of life. That Paul was a man of faith. He had so much faith that God used him to raise people from the dead. Used him to start churches all over the world. But yet Paul got to a place in his spiritual life where ministry was so difficult, hardship was so difficult, persecution was so intense that he said he despaired of life. He got to the point where he was probably just confused, discouraged, depressed, lost. But he says he learned to go back to the fundamentals, to trust the God who raises the dead. And we're going to find today that 1 Peter continues after we've been encouraged by our identity in Christ. He continues to encourage us with the power and the purpose of the gospel, which isn't just to save us, but the power of the gospel is what matures us, it's what encourages us, and it's what sustains us to the end of our walk with Christ. So if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we'll see how um, the Apostle Peter, through the Holy Spirit, lays out some um, fundamentals. There's five of them. Five fundamentals that we can practice in order to persevere through trials and hardships in this life. Verse 3, he begins by saying, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The very first thing that Peter does here is he praises God. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we can start every single day with is worship, is, is praise. I know that's a very simple, simple thing. And we worship God with our lives, but we also can worship God um, with our voice. That's what we just did, right? Before we um, get into the word, we worship as a church. We sing praises to God. And one thing I would just encourage you to do as a practice, I try to do this every morning is actually sing, actually worship to the Lord. You can do um, a worship song. You could find some scripture. You can make up your own tune. Maybe we've got some psalmists in here, people who can make music, that you could sing to the Lord, sing your heart, be, be reminded of his promises. It's funny because uh, with one of the, 
uh, little Bible studies we've done with some of the kids at the youth center and down at the boxing, we encourage them to do this, is to get a worship song. Justin's laughing because he was there. Get a worship song and um, sing to the Lord. Um, and these kids are looking at us like they don't know any worship songs. So, you know, we had to get them the, a playlist on YouTube and show them some worship songs and stuff. But the kids who did it, I mean, they just saw this change of being I'm frustrated and mad. And by the time they got done worshiping, it's like their whole heart had been lifted to be able to get in the word and be encouraged by the word of God. Worshiping God, blessing God with our life is important, but taking some time to actually sing to God. I'm not a singer, but I do sing to God by myself. And it's been very, very um, beneficial in my walk with Christ. So the first fundamental, real basic, let's praise and honor God, not just with our lives, but also in song as we worship him on a daily basis. The second fundamental, though, is that um, Peter is reminding them of the power of the gospel. He says he's begotten them to a living hope. A lot of translations say um, we have been born again to a living hope. Being born again was a key teaching of the early church. And if you turn with me to John chapter 3, we'll see where it came from. As Jesus taught a Pharisee named Nicodemus on being born again. We'll be in John chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things or these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered it and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus lays out pretty clearly to Nicodemus about what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And he uses being born again as a reference for a a couple specific reasons. Number one is how much did you have to do with your birth? Not a lot, right? That your mother... And father, we know how it goes, right? And then they, you, she conceives, has a baby, doesn't, doesn't ask your opinion a whole lot about that, right? That it's something that happens from outside of you. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that the power of God is necessary, not just to make you a better person, not just to reform your behavior, not just to become a member of the church, but there needs to be a change inside of you. Our heart needs to change. We need to be born again. Go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You know, Jesus, I heard this said to me once early on in my faith, and it really encouraged me, is that Jesus did not come to make bad people good people, but he came to make dead people live. That is the power of the gospel. It's not a social reformation, but it's coming into the center of our hearts and changing us from someone who is opposing God to someone who loves God and serves God. And First Peter says this is done not by our works, but it's done by the mercies of God. He is the one who opens the door by his grace, by his mercy to come in and to change our heart. And the power of the gospel is not just what saves us, but it's what changes us 
and it's what sustains us. And that's what's encouraging is the same power that God used to bring me from death to life in salvation is the same power that's available to me today to overcome my sin. It's the same power that's available to me today to be patient with my son who's three and he's a toddler and he does things that you know, make you frustrated that even the little things in my life, God has given me the power of the gospel. It doesn't have to be by self-control. It doesn't have to just be by my own strength and my might, but it's the power of the gospel that saved me. And it's the power of the gospel that continues to be our strength as believers every single day. In Jeremiah um, chapter 13, uh, you could turn there. It should be on your screen as well. Jeremiah chapter 13 gives kind of an interesting analogy with this, um, but it sticks with me is it brings us to the reality of who we are and who God is. That we need, it's more than just need God's help, we're desperate for his help. Jesus says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. There's a desperation on our part that's needed in order for God to change our hearts. And so we have to recognize for us, this is done by the mercy of God. And are we really humbling ourselves on a daily basis knowing I need God? And um, I know we think we need God for the big things, but I heard a guy at one time say, you know, I need God to tie my shoe. And I'm not saying, I mean, in some ways that may not be true, but that should be our attitude is that whatever I'm doing, I'm relying on the fullness and the power of God. Because this is what God says to Israel. Israel's been in trouble and God's correcting them. And Israel's trying to change by their religious acts and trying to change by their own behavior. And this is what God tells them. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots, then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. When I was in Kenya um, doing some mission work, we talked with some people from Ethiopia and people from Ethiopia are very dark skinned, right? And God is saying, it's just as likely for me to be able to change my own heart and for me to be able to um, attain to God by my own efforts, my own works, it's just as likely for that to happen as it is for an Ethiopian to wake up and be just as white as Luke. It's not gonna happen, right? And the same way, he says, it's just as likely for us to be able to change our own heart. It's just as likely for a leopard to wake up and lose all of its spots. It's not gonna happen. That God is telling us the heart of man, apart from the work of God, apart from us repenting and turning to the power of the gospel, there's nothing we can do in ourselves to change our behavior. And that's why I think this is so important as the the second fundamental, because when we are relying on the power of the gospel, it puts God, it increases the glory and the power and the focus of Christ, and it decreases the importance of us. And that is where we can live in peace. We can live sustained. We can live encouraged. We can live with a living hope that we'll get to in just a minute. So fundamental number two is we have to keep in mind that the same power that saved us is the same power that God is giving us on a daily basis. So no matter what we face, whether it be sin, whether it be trials, be encouraged because Jesus says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. No matter what I'm facing, the power of the gospel in me can give me the strength to endure whatever's before me. The fundamental number three is kind of the outcome of this being born again. And he says that we um, are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter six, there's a great scripture about hope and hope being an anchor for our soul. 
when you think of a um, ship that's out at sea and if you cast the anchor, what happens? That no matter how much waves or wind there is, the boat can go a little ways, but it's ultimately gonna stay around that anchor. And the Bible tells us our hope, which hope in the Bible is not a wishful thinking. Like I hope this happens with my fingers crossed. Hope in the Bible is confidence. I'm confidently expecting, I know this is true without a shadow of a doubt. This hope that we have because of what Christ has done in us, making us born again, that's the hope that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in can be an anchor for our souls. In Hebrews chapter six, verse 13, he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It takes patience to obtain God's promises. For when men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consultation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. So the question for you and I, and we'll get a little bit more into this, how do we know where we're placing our hope? Because I don't think most people here, I don't think anyone would disagree, don't put your hope in God. I think everyone here would say, yes, put your hope in God. But we find ourselves in certain seasons not doing that, right? So how can we maybe have a gauge in our own life? How do I know if I'm actively putting my hope in God? And one thing I try to do that I feel like has been a good barometer for me is to kind of take an inventory of my life. What are the things that I'm kind of most excited about? And what are the things that I'm most discouraged about? And are those spiritual things that have something to do with God and his promises? Or those circumstantial things that have to do about me and what I want, what I can get and what I can do? Because if all of a sudden my priorities are those things about me, that's a good picture that I'm not putting my hope in God. But sometimes we can be discouraged about spiritual things. We can be discouraged about um, things that maybe are of the Lord, hard, hard things that we go through. And that can be evidence that, hey, we're carrying a burden that is spiritual. We're carrying a burden that does have our priorities set on Christ. What our hope is, is what we're setting our confident expectation on. So the question we need to ask ourselves, where is our confidence? Where's our hope in this season? I wanna look at John chapter 10 because not only do we see that we have a living hope in Christ, that's the anchor for our soul. He also says um, in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, we're gonna see the importance of the assurance of our salvation. That first Peter says, not only do we have a living hope, but that we're guarded and we're kept by God for the day of salvation. We don't have to keep ourselves, but God is the one who keeps us and God's the one who sustains us. One thing I've seen um, in working with specifically kind of people who've um, struggled with anxiety, people who've struggled with depression, people who've struggled with addiction is there's a lot of times a common underlying theme of a doubting of their salvation. 
Have I lost my salvation? I relapsed. Have I lost my salvation? That this continual cycle of discouragement and obsessive thinking can lead people to wondering and questioning, have I, have I outlasted God's grace and his patience for me? And one reason this hope of ours is living is because we can't lose our salvation because God is the one that remains faithful. He's the one that guards our heart despite our own mistakes, despite our own failures. I think this is so important because when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I, the Bible says he drank the cup of God's wrath for you and I's sin. That all the anger of God that was ever meant for sin was poured out on Jesus on you and I's behalf. Therefore, if all of it was poured out, all of God's anger and judgment was poured out on Christ, how much is left for you and me? There's none if we've accepted the the truth of the gospel. If we've been born again in Christ, there's no more anger from God. Now we can have loving discipline. He can encourage us. He can challenge us. He can discipline us. But it's not going to be out of anger. The only thing left for the believer is love because Christ has taken our place in taking the anger and the wrath of God so that we can experience the love and the peace and the steadfastness of God, knowing he's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us. And Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I, I and my Father are one. This is one of the most powerful truths, I think, of the Christian faith, especially of having a living hope. That when we are God's, he's going to protect us. He's going to nurture us. He's going to care for us. And he's the one that's going to see us through to the end. Whenever I'm talking with somebody about being afraid to lose their salvation, um, at least this is my take, is if we could lose our salvation, every single one of us would lose it. I know I'd lose it. That if it was up to me by my own good works to keep my salvation, there's no way any of us could do it. That Hebrews 12 says that Jesus is the author of our faith. He's the one who starts it. And he's the finisher of our faith. He's the one that sustains us to the end. So this hope is not just that, again, Christ, by the power of the gospel, saves us. But it's also the hope that the power of the gospel is the one that is going to sustain us. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he encourages us with the fundamental that our true reward in salvation is that we have peace, is that we have a relationship with God, But he says that we have an inheritance in heaven, right? And this inheritance in heaven can't be corrupted. It can't be defiled. It cannot fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you and I. There's so many things in this life we can work really hard for and we can do all the right things and still just might not work out. That happens in this life. Life isn't always fair in that way. But Peter's reminding the Christians, every ounce of faith, every step of obedience, everything you do for the glory of God, none of it's wasted, none of it will fade away. All of it is restored up for you an inheritance in heaven to enjoy with God forever. So not only can we praise God, not only do we have the power of the gospel that can change our lives, but we have a living hope that won't perish, that God will sustain us, and it will be with us even in our darkest and our worst times. But finally, one of the most challenging um, I think parts of First Peter, and especially the fundamentals we'll cover today, is on trials. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Bible refers to trials as us going through fire, right? And it talks about um, fire and gold. And when gold goes through fire, what happens? It's refined, right? Takes away all the impurities and that gold is better on the other end of the fire. The other thing fire could do is it could test counterfeit gold. Someone said it was gold and a lot of their monetary systems back then depended on gold. And so if you said it was gold and it wasn't gold and you put in fire, boom, it's gone. It's, it's burned away. What the Bible says is we should be thankful for trials. James 1 says, brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Has anyone ever tried to pray that while you're going through a trial? I just said, thank you, God, for taking me through a trial. Sure, some of you have prayed that. It's tough to pray. And for me, it's even though we know it's biblical, right? But really to pray that. Thank you, Lord, I'm going through a trial. Help me find joy in this. That's a tough thing to pray. But I hope as we look at this today, you'll see it's worthwhile praying because trials are one of the very few things that expose us for who we truly are. It's really easy to hide who we are from ourselves and from others. And we try to do it from God. But trials are one of the very few things that expose us for who we truly are. And uh, I stole this from C.S. Lewis' uh, uh, example he had. But he talked about this man who lived in a basement. And in this basement, there was rats and there was rotten food and there were spider webs in the corners. And it was very, not a very good place to live. But anytime he would have guests over, he would ask them, can you please give me a 24-hour notice? Just give me 24 hours and you can, you can come over to my place. For, so, for, so, uh, for 24 hours, he would clean his house as best he could. Get rid of the rats, get rid of the rotten food, clean up the spider webs, maybe get a new air freshener in there, make it look just at least a little better. So when guys came over, they wouldn't necessarily say, this is the best house I've ever been to. But it was livable and they would talk and they'd have a good time. One time, one of his friends needed to talk to him really quickly. So he ran over, he banged on the door, bust open, went down there and he was shocked at what his friend's house looked like. There's rats and there's moldy food and there's spider webs. He says, are you okay? He's like, well, yeah, I'm okay. What's the matter? Well, why does your house look like this? All of a sudden it dawned on this guy that, well, this is how I always live. Just nobody ever saw it, right? Until he was surprised, until he was cut off, caught off guard. And a lot of times what trials do is they catch us off guard, number one, and they, they hurt us down, down in our heart. And I know for me, it's very tempting that if I'm hurt, if I'm caught off guard, if um, I'm anxious, if I'm worried, if I'm angry, what comes out of my mouth to then justify that. Oh, the only reason I said that was because I was angry or the only reason I said that was because I was caught off guard. But the truth is what comes out of us when we're caught off guard, what comes out of us when we go through fires, trials, that's what's really in our heart. That's what really is, is deeply rooted in us. And God uses the fire to test the, what this scripture says, the genuineness of our faith. How much do we really trust him? 
And God uses those fires to get down to the inner parts of our heart, inner parts of our soul to show us who we really are. Not to discourage us, but so that we can heal. So that I can realize, man, God, you're right. I do still have anger or I do still have bitterness or I do still have pride or I do still have um, a lot of worry and obsessiveness in, in my mind. And then we have an opportunity to give those things to God to truly heal, to become more like Jesus Christ. And he says this in, um, at, the, at the end of this little section in verse um, eight, talking about the value as we pull away the dross and the, the um, lack of genuine faith that we have and we obtain to a more genuine faith. In verse eight, he says, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The other reason I think that we can um, be very thankful about trials, not only do trials expose who we are and our weaknesses and the areas we can grow, but our trials lead us to a deeper relationship and a loving and a knowing of Jesus Christ. I know for me and for many of you that that moment or that season where you became born again, the power of the gospel really impacted your life. You saw that difference between knowing about God, checking the boxes, going to church, coming to a discipleship class, and all of a sudden you knew what it meant to really know God. You knew what it meant to really have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you look back at those seasons, there's nothing more beautiful than that. There is nothing more valuable and that can give you more joy and to coming into that intimate connection with knowing God and knowing that God knows you. Not just knowing about him, not just talking about him, but having that. It's just like he says here, it's funny, um, it's true, that he says, it's a, we rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. There's not words to, to explain the joy and the intimacy that comes into our heart where we can trust God through trials and develop a closer relationship with him. It's the greatest reward I think we could ever receive this side of heaven is being more intimate and just knowing God, knowing his love and knowing that he's with us. So for that reason, we can rejoice. We can be glad when we fall into trials of various kinds. I just think it's so important to recognize that trials don't make our faith or don't break our faith, but they're just exposing our faith for what it is. And then from there, we can choose what we wanna do with it. I've seen a lot of times that people blame where they're at because of trials, things that have happened. And I'm not minimizing the pain and the hurt and those things that come into our life because of trials. But the Bible nowhere blames trials for either making people or breaking people. God just uses them to expose where we're at so we have an opportunity to choose. We have an opportunity to choose whether we're gonna trust him and rely on his promises or we'll choose our own way and our own understanding over his. Our final point, our final fundamental um, is our reliance and <clears throat> our dedication to the scripture. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he closes this fundamental section, encouraging them with their fundamentals. He closes with this. Of this salvation, so what we just talked about, being born again, this living hope, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, talking about the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating 
when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now there's a lot there, and we're just gonna kind of summarize this, that what's so awesome about the Bible is there's really nothing new in the New Testament. It's the Old Testament revealed. It's the prophecies of Christ. There's over 300 quite a bit over 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled in the Old Testament. That I believe that Jesus is the Messiah because one, he changed my life and I believe I have a living relationship with him. But the second thing that really is kind of the nail in the coffin for me that Jesus is who he says he is, is because of all the scripture that's fulfilled about him. You couldn't make it up. There's no way you could just formulate this and try to convince people, well, Jesus is the Messiah will kind of manipulate these scriptures. Over thousands of years, different authors, different continents, that God put together a book that happened exactly the way he said it was gonna happen. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that all point to Jesus Christ being exactly who he said he is. And to wrap this up, and just as an encouragement for us that we find our hope, we find our foundation, we find our fundamentals in the right things. Because there was a friend of mine who... um, we started going to church. We started pursuing Christ at the same time in college. And um, we were really, I think, an encouragement to each other. He was one of my best friends. And we, we walked our life with Christ t- together for quite a while. And he had a couple really hard things happen in his life. Some of them happened in his personal life and in sports and um, in his church. And he ended up turning away from the faith. Today, he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ existed. He doesn't believe that, um, he actually is kind of an, an occult now. And it's a very sad story. I still pray for him. Me and him still talk from time to time. But the one thing I discovered is me and him talked and I asked him questions is he never really took the time to understand or consider is Jesus who he said he is according to the scripture? Does this really fit? that it was more of an emotional thing. It was a community thing. He liked going to church. He liked his friends. He wanted to be a better person. But he never came to the point where he really believed by faith that Jesus Christ was the Messiah sent from God. That's the foundation of our faith. That's what Peter's reminding these Christians. This isn't something new that we're teaching you. This is something for thousands of years God has prophesied of, and now it's here. And you can bank on it because God, again, we already read, God can never lie. We have the solid foundation in the scriptures. In John chapter six, Jesus starts losing some disciples. They start leaving and going different directions because they didn't like his teaching. And Jesus turned to Peter and the disciples and he said, are you guys gonna leave? And Peter said, Lord, where can we go? We believe that you have the words of eternal life and that you are the Christ. See, when we believe, when our faith is rooted not in our emotions, not in our circumstances, not from what we can get from God, but our, our faith is truly rooted in that he is our living hope. The power of the gospel has changed our lives, that we believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah foretold from the scripture. We can go through tough times. We can be discombobulated um, through different seasons, but those truths can give us clarity, can give us a foundation, and give us a peace, regardless of the fire or the trials that we see coming our way. So coming back to what we started with, think how we can avoid losing the fundamentals, how we can avoid spiritually fumbling away what God has given us is make sure we're reminded of the basics every day. We know them. Just like Peter said to the Christians, you're established in these truths. 
But just because you're establishing them doesn't mean we don't need to be reminded on a daily basis, reminded as we encourage and talk to one another the foundation of what God has promised us, that we can find our hope in something that never changes, never fades away, and will secure us to the very end. So I want to invite the worship team up to close us. Um, I'll just close us in a little prayer. Father God, I thank you for uh, your faithfulness. God, I thank you that when you genuinely start a work in our life, God, that you will see it to the end. And God, I know that um, there's challenging times for us as a church and individually, Lord. And if it was just about this life, it's easy to give up, Lord. But it's not about this life. We have a living hope, God. I just pray that we would use the trials and the fire that you bring in our life um, for honest evaluation, Lord, and that you would encourage our hearts, that you'd make us more like you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people whose number one priority is to know you above everything else. God, so I just thank you for all that you're doing, and we thank you for your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.